Good morning, Christian Family Chapel. Thanks for joining us on this Easter Sunday. Now, what you just heard proclaimed that he is worthy of his name, and then what's called a spoken word by my friend Matthew. Uh, Matthew actually started the chapel kind of like uh, many of you are, and that is long before he stepped foot on this campus, he watched us online just to see if this would be a place he could connect with. And it's been a pleasure for him to not only connect with us, but then to use the, God, the gifts that God has given him. So it occurred to me, as he was sharing that, that some of you may go, man, I'm not used to listening that fast. And so if you missed it, we will have this service recording. You come back and listen again, because not only did he declare that, he actually wrote that original from him. And it's an expression of the victorious work of Jesus in our lives. And so I don't, I don't want you to miss that. So we acknowledged in case you joined us late that we are having some potential internet difficulties on our side with our provider. And so if you're seeing some buffering, if you feel like you're watching a foreign film where my lips aren't matching the words that I'm saying, uh, we're going to ask you to try and hang with it again. If you can't, uh, we'll put up it later. And, and so hang with it maybe and then come back later and watch again and, and fill it in. But this is Resurrection Sunday, so it occurs to me that if we believe that God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can make a live stream work. So that's what we're going to ask him, bow with me. We're going to ask him very specifically, God, right now, as you declared that you are the God who does the supernatural, that you work in powerful ways. And this is your word and your truth and the raising of your son being proclaimed. And I'm going to ask that by your grace and by your power, you would cause technology to work as it's intended in these next few minutes. We would ask of you, believing that you can, and so we ask that you will. As your children, we ask believing, always trusting. We trust what you do. We trust how you work. We trust that you use great things and smooth things and use hard things and jumpy things. So we'll give you praise no matter what because we believe that you have raised your son and our savior from the dead. So we worship you as worthy of the name above every name. And we invite you to speak to us now from your word in Christ's name. Amen. So very normally on this Sunday, I would declare to a gathered body, he is risen. And you would then reply, he is risen indeed. And so that might seem weird, but I'm going to invite you right now in your room, wherever you're watching, that after I say he is risen, you say it out loud. He is risen indeed. So let's join together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, that's, that's what we believe. And never, really, never in my lifetime, in your lifetime, has the reality of the resurrection be a, been of greater importance than in the midst of global pandemic. The stakes are always high when it comes to resurrection, but never more high than... 2020. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the words will come up on the screen. But because we may be jumping, uh, 
turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read verses 14 through 19. And here's why. Because I want us to see what is at stake when we speak about how important is the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what is at stake according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, liars, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. The stakes don't get any higher than the question, is Christ raised from the dead? It would seem that of all the ifs going on in life right now, that the greatest if has been and always will be if Christ has not been raised from the dead or if Christ has been raised from the dead. To, to lay it out in just stark form, if you believe in Jesus, you are one of two things. If you believe in Jesus, you are either pitiful, perishing, gullible, and guilty, lying fools, or you are fully forgiven recipients of eternal and abundant life. Wow, that's, that's, that's pretty significant. You, you get the full extreme there? If you believe in Jesus, according to this text, you get one of these two choices. You either get to be a pitiful, perishing, gullible, and guilty, lying fool. Or, if you believe in Jesus and Christ has been raised from the dead, you are fully forgiven, recipient of life. And not only life eternal, but life abundant. That's how critical what we are talking about this morning is. It's either this or this. And the if, the, excuse me, the or all depends on the if. And what's the if? If Christ, Jesus, was raised from the dead. Was he? Well, it really matters. There's, there's not a person on the planet that wants to be a pitiful, perishing, gullible, and guilty, lying fool. And who doesn't want to be fully forgiven and a recipient of life, eternal and abundant? Man, wherever you're watching, whoever you are, you don't want to waste your life. You don't want to be a fool. You don't want to be gullible or guilty. You want life. We were made for life. And who we are all depends on whether Jesus was raised from the dead. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to take your Bible, if you have one again, and turn from 1 Corinthians 15, and I want you to move to Matthew chapter 27, to the Gospel of Matthew, 
And we're gonna, we're gonna read an, a pretty extensive section of scripture because it matters. Because it, 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 it explains and chronicles what happened with the resurrection. Because who we are really depends on the if of this. So Matthew chapter 27, we're going to start in verse 62, and we're going to read the whole way through verse 15 of Matthew 28. So that's a big chunk of scripture. Hang with it. It's very compelling material. Beginning in verse 62 of Matthew 27. Now, on the next day, now what, they're, what Matthew's referring to is the next day, in other words, the day after Jesus had been crucified. So he was crucified in our calendar on a Friday. And because the next day for Jewish folks was the Sabbath, and they didn't work on the Sabbath, they didn't want to bury him on the Sabbath, so they needed to bury him before the Sabbath. So he is crucified on a Friday, and he is put in the grave, in the tomb, before the sun sets on Friday. So he is in the grave Friday, just the end of the Friday, sun sets all day Saturday. This is Saturday. The next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. Pilate, the Roman governor who had said, crucify him. And he said, and they said, sir, to Pilate, we remember that when he, Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made, what? Secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception, watch, the resurrection will be worse than the first. What was the first? His claim that he was God. So they're going, if he's raised from the dead, if he's stolen and it's declared he's raised from the dead, then that will authenticate even the worst of the first. He is God. So they recognize the resurrection matters. They recognize this is the greatest if. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go. Make it as secure as you know how. That is so crucial. Make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. Three times in the text we've seen that word now. Make it secure. Keep it from what? Theft. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now chapter 28 begins. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, this is now Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. Why? For he has 
risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And it would seem that then they go and they look. Watch now what he says, verse 7, the angel. <clears throat> go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. So he, the risen Jesus, appears to them and greets them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him, just like we worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me, the risen Jesus. Verse 11. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you're to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, Pilate's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. That's the account that he is risen. So think, think like a court of law. Think like this. What's the evidence that if he was raised, if the resurrection of Jesus was on trial, we would ask the question, what's the physical evidence? And the physical evidence begins with this. For the resurrection, the physical evidence is that the tomb was reported and confirmed as empty. Now, don't miss this. It was reported and confirmed as empty by whom? By those who followed Jesus and those who opposed Jesus. No difference. And this is absolutely crucial. In other words, the empty tomb is not something that those who followed and believed in Jesus got together and said, hey, uh, let's declare this and let's see if we can go viral. Let's see if we can get some momentum with this. No, it wasn't something that simply those who believed in Jesus declared. If you followed the text, the guards admitted the tomb is empty. The chief priests, the elders, made a plan based on what? The tomb was empty. Followers of Jesus and those who were opposed to Jesus all acknowledged the physical evidence. The tomb is empty. There is no one there. That's, that is absolutely critical for this reason. How do you account for an empty tomb? Well, you only have one of two options. Either an empty tomb means theft or 
resurrection. I mean, what else could there be? Either someone came and stole the body or the person inside came back alive and left. So, let's look at the question. Which is it, theft or resurrection? Here's what I absolutely love. That those who feared theft had been given permission to make it as secure as you can. Folks, did you, you say, I said three times in that text, make it secure, make it secure, make it secure. Why? Because if the tomb is empty, there's only going to be theft or resurrection. And we know a resurrection is going to take place. It can only be a hoax. So it could only happen, a hoax could only happen if they'd steal it. So let's make sure the body doesn't get stolen. They made it as secure as they could. And that meant a couple of things. First, they secured it with a Roman seal, likely Pilate's seal. The governor said, you can put my seal on the tomb. And that simply, that doesn't mean they caulked the tomb. Like, oh, no air can get in, no air can get out. To put a Roman seal on the tomb was to basically put a sign that says, you try to move this, you die. It's the ultimate no trespassing sign. So a Roman seal is set there with an understanding that if you move the stone that closes the grave, you die. That's pretty secure. That's pretty compelling. I, I put my life at risk if I try to move the stone. Second, they secure it with multiple Roman guards. Now, again, if you watch closely in the text, the physical evidence declared guards, plural. If you do historical study of a Roman guard in that period of time in history, you get a pretty wide array of number. You'll get as few as four. You'll get as many as 32. So the text does not declare, was it four guys or was it as many as 32? Once you get to four, does it really matter? Four guys guarding a stone that is declared, if you move it, you die. So they made it as secure as they knew how with multiple guards. Now add this to the physical evidence. In John chapter 20, we find out this as well. When the women got to the disciples and told them, he's not dead, he's alive, we saw him. Two of the disciples, it tells us, run as fast as they can to check out the evidence for themselves. Maybe you'd have done that. Maybe you'd have went, wow, amazing. Maybe you'd have been afraid to go to the quote-unquote crime scene. But these two guys aren't. They run as fast as they can to get there. One of them, Simon Peter, the other, John. Simon Peter also came following him, John, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now you may go, I I don't get it. What's the point? The point is this. 
if some people who, disciples, who had been so afraid that when Jesus was arrested, they had run for their lives, somehow had gotten the courage two days later to go back to the tomb and there find at least four guards and they're sleeping, which is the story. Which is a hard one to believe if you understand that if a Roman guard is caught sleeping on duty, he dies. So if you move the stone, you die. If you fall asleep guarding the stone, you die. The stakes are high. But their story, the only story they can come up with is all of us fell asleep at the same time. Now watch the absurdity of this. All of them fell asleep at the same time. Guys who had run scared now have great courage. They go back to the crime scene and they sneak past sleeping assassins roll away a stone that says, if you move it, you die. They go in, they grab the body. Once you have the body, what do you do? Well, if you have any brains, you run as fast as you can before they wake up. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be like a highly paid professional criminal to figure that one out. You grab a body and you run like mad. But no, no. These guys go, hey, whoa, whoa. We got to take the wrappings off. They're sleeping. Let's take the wrappings off. And let's take the face cloth and let's set it over here. It makes zero sense. See, if, if a crime scene investigator shows up, to a sealed, secured, guarded tomb and then sees that the linen cloth, the, the barrier cloth are, are there. He doesn't think, oh, wow, somebody did a snatch and grab. No, if you're going to snatch that body, you're going to run like mad. If a snatch and grab past sleeping guards really could take place, why would the grave clothes be left behind? That would be the argument for those who would say in a court, really stolen? Why are they there? And why is the faith cloth, face cloth folded? It's compelling evidence. And here's what I love. And I hope this will encourage you if you are a believer in Jesus. And if you have not yet believed in Jesus, I hope you'll figure out. You'll think, man, this, this is pretty amazing. He said he was going to rise. They didn't want him to declare that he had risen from the dead. Because if he really was risen from the dead, then all that he had said that he was God and that he was the Savior and that he was the Messiah, that he would save people from their sin, then that would be true if he was raised. And the only way he could be raised if they stole him. So do you understand that everything they did to secure from a theft proves it couldn't have been a theft? <laughs> In order to discount the possibility of a resurrection, they ended up proving the validity of a resurrection because they made it impossible for the body to be stolen. But they acknowledged the tomb's empty. And if the tomb's empty and it was impossible to steal it, 
what are you left with? You're left with a resurrected Jesus. And friends, the reason the grave cloths are lying behind is because when Jesus raised from the dead, he was like, I'm not dead. These are not my clothes anymore. He took them off. He took the face cloth. He set it aside. He, a living Jesus, walked out of the grave. And those who believe are not fools or gullible. And because they're not gullible, but believe, they are not guilty. And they're not perishing. And they're not pitiful. The evidence physically is overwhelming. And yet, folks, there's the eyewitness testimony that continues. When we look at the eyewitness evidence for the resurrection, we don't have enough minutes to, to look at every single passage, and here's why. There are at least 10 separate, recorded, unique interactions with the resurrected Jesus. At least 10 unique ones. You understand what I mean? First of all, 10 recorded. The, the Gospel of John declares at the end that there are many things that Jesus said and did which aren't recorded because if you tried to write down everything he said and everything he did during his ministry, you would be overwhelmed with books. That's, that's what the Bible says. And you understand that. Imagine writing down everything you said, everything you did every single day. Not su no summary, just writing it out. That would be like, ah, overwhelming. So if that's true about his life, don't miss the fact. Uh, these are recorded events. Did Jesus appear to more people in more situations? Quite likely. But we have enough recorded eyewitness testimony for it to be overwhelming. Because it's not only 10 separate ones, they are unique interactions. By unique interactions, I mean this, that some of the interactions involved a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. Compelling personally, not great in a court of law. Some, therefore, appeared where he spoke to small groups. So multiple people experienced the same thing at the same time. It wasn't an individual hallucination or dream. Multiple people at the same time in the same place gave the same testimony. We saw Jesus who had been crucified raised from the dead. And it wasn't just individuals or small groups, large groups. One of them, more than 500 people at the same time testified. We saw the same thing. The Jesus who had been crucified alive. Overwhelming eyewitness testimony. And the fact that those eyewitness testimonies, those appearances occurred over a span of 40 days. So it wasn't just all in the next day or that day or the weekend or a week. 40 days of eyewitness testimony of the risen Jesus appearing to them. And, uh, and by the way, 40 days because that's the time from when he was raised until he ascended into heaven. Fourth, these interactions with the resurrected Jesus occurred from Jerusalem 
to 80 miles north up in Galilee. Now you may go, I'm I'm not sure I understand. Here's the point. If you're really looking for the evidence of this if, if Jesus was raised, eyewitness testimony is crucial. And if you have one person at one place, one time, you have an eyewitness. But if you have more than 500 people in multiple occasions in different places, you have overwhelming eyewitness testimony. Jesus was raised from the dead. He appeared in a house and outside. He appeared on a mountain. He appeared by a seashore. And he appeared to guys walking on a road. It wasn't always the same. It was often different situations to different people in different locations. Do you capture it with any sense of listening objectively to the eyewitness testimony, the physical testimony. It is overwhelming the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. So if we were to comprise and put all this into one setting and we would ask for the verdict, I think you would agree the resurrection of Jesus actually is not an if. It's not an if. Why? The physical testimony, the physical evidence doesn't allow it to be if. The eyewitness testimony doesn't allow it to be an if. In fact, in looking at all this evidence, I presented it to a, to a lawyer, a friend of mine, and I said, what word would you, as a lawyer who has been in the court of law, what word would you use? to describe the evidence for the resurrection. You know what he declared? He said, the resurrection of Jesus is incontrovertible. And I was like, sweet, what's that mean? Because I was like, that's not a word that I've ever used before. Uh, a convertible? No, incontrovertible. I was like, incontrovertible, please, that's awesome. Tell me actually what it means. And he said, it simply means this, not able to be denied or disputed. You can't deny it. The evidence, I, I would have said, like, it's overwhelming. And that's, that's a good word. It's just not, it's not incontrovertible. The resurrection of Jesus is incontrovertible. You can't deny it. You can't dispute it. The evidence is, in my word, overwhelming. It's not an if Jesus rose from the dead. He did. Evidence is entirely there. So, Jesus said, let me make this personal now. Jesus says to a woman whose brother had just died and she's grieving four days after his death. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now you may go, I, I, don't, I don't get what Jesus is saying now. What, what do you mean? E even if he, he'll live, even if he dies. It means this, friends. You and I have a life that we know clothed in this physical body. But we have been made, you have been made in the image of God. You have a soul and a spirit that God has made you like himself. You've been made to live. And we understand that this physical body, the Bible uses as an analogy, it calls it a tent. And it's a good one because the idea is this. This tent is going to start to sag and one day fall down. And we all, well, we don't all. The older you get, the more you go, whoo, that really is starting to sag and fall down. But you know what? <clears throat> your spirit, your soul is not like your physical body. Made in the image of God, it is intended to last forever. This is why the Bible means when it says God has written eternity in your hearts. It's why, friends, I know because I've experienced when you lie in bed awake at night and you have this sense of life is bigger than my job, my house, my family, my stuff, my bills. Life's bigger than corona. Life's bigger than quarantine and lockdown. It's because... You have been created in the image of God. You have a soul and a spirit. And Jesus is saying to this woman who is grieving her, his, her, her brother's physical death, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. In other words, the tent's going to fall down. The physical body is going to die. But if you believe in me, your soul and your spirit will live forever. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Oh, not that this physical body won't die. This soul and spirit, the real, true you. The one that you can't change with a different haircut, the one that you can't change by going to the gym, the real you that's going to last forever will live if you believe in Jesus. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. So he declares this to, to this gal who, who is grieving, just like so many of us are, are feeling that sense of fear and uncertainty of what's going to happen in these coming days. It's not the biggest if. And actually, if Jesus raised from dead, actually is not life's greatest if. That's a fact. It's an what? Incontrovertible fact. Life's greatest if is what Jesus says to this woman next. Do you believe this? See, that's life's greatest if. It's not, did, did Jesus rise from the dead? Or didn't he? It's, do you believe it? Life's greatest if, if you will believe in Jesus. Not believe about him. Not believe that he is. Believe in him. That he, by his death, 
paid the penalty for your sin. That he, by his resurrection from the dead, verified that he really did pay the penalty. And that he, by his resurrection and ascension to the Father, declared that you can walk in newness of life. It's not if he raised, he did. And so those who believe are not pitiful and are not perishing and they are not gullible and they are not guilty and they're not lying and you are not a fool to believe in the incontrovertible fact of the resurrection of Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to be fully forgiven and to find life eternal and life abundant. The privilege just this week of talking to a gentleman who said, when I believed in Jesus, not believed about him, when I believed in him, God changed my life. And my son looked at my life and said, Dad, who are you? I was a completely different person in Jesus. Why? Because he had found forgiveness and life, life abundant and life eternal. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose from the dead. Life's greatest if for you this morning, regardless of what the rest of this month and May and June and the rest of 2020 holds, put all that aside. Ask yourself what Jesus asked the woman grieving over her brother's death. Do you believe me? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and life? I do. I believe it with all my heart and I have known the joy of forgiveness and life abundant. I remember when I first heard, it was like, God, I've, I, I've always described it this way because this is as true as I can declare. It was like God was just pounding on my heart. Doug, don't ignore me. Don't stiff arm me. Don't keep me away. Yield and receive me. The promise of Jesus is this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If God is pounding on your heart right now, lay down this rejection, this question of, was he really raised? He was it's incontrovertible. And receive his forgiveness and receive his life, abundant and eternal. Would you bow with me right now, wherever you're watching right now, bow with me. If you would just, before God, close your eyes that you might put the distractions going on around you out of your mind and that you would just talk to God right now. Would you tell him, God, thank you for sending your son to be my savior. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I deserve death. I admit that I'm guilty. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died to take my penalty. I believe he not only died, but I believe you raised him from the dead. I believe he is the Lord 
and I receive his forgiveness and I receive his life. Did you tell the Lord that? Invite him to be your savior, to be your forgiver, to be your leader, to be your life. That you'd never be the same. <laughs> that you would walk in newness of life. God, thank you. God, thank you that our hope and our confidence this day is not in something, well, it might have happened, it might not have happened. Thank you that our hope and our confidence is in the sure, incontrovertible fact that you raised your son from the dead, that he might be the sacrifice for our sins and that we might receive him and receive the reward of life eternal and abundant. Thank you that we can walk in newness of life to the praise of your glory and to the fullness of joy. Would we live as ones raised from the dead as well to the praise of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ask the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, I wonder if, if you would just let us know. If you missed earlier on our live stream, Matt invited you to just use that, that text number to use the button on our home screen that says connect with CFC. Just let us know. I began a relationship with God through believing in the resurrected Jesus this morning. And we would love to follow up to help you grow in that new relationship. If you're not prepared to take that step, keep watching. Join us next week. We'll be here again, 9.30, declaring and looking at in the scriptures what happens when people see and believe in the resurrected. It, Jesus, it changes them. And we're going to see how it changes us. Because God will bring great joy and great reward into your life as you will trust in him. So let us know if you would. If not, keep watching. And let's celebrate for all of us who have believed that though we had been dead in our sin, we are now alive in Jesus. And as he walked out of that grave, we get to walk out of our grave to walk in newness of life. What a glorious day today is. God bless. I was buried beneath my shame who could carry that kind of weight it was my tomb till I met you and I was breathing but not alive Failures I 
So thanks so much for joining us uh, this morning. I want to let you know again that we're going to break for about 60 seconds and then we're going to come back on and we'll do a 30-minute Q&A. So if you can hold the ham or whatever you're having for Easter lunch, we'll be able to enjoy uh, some opportunity to dialogue together about what we studied this morning. Second, just wanted you to know, again, we recorded what we have done and our recording won't have any jumps or skips or anything like that in it. So if you want to go back and watch again or share with somebody who said, I tried to watch, but I gave up, here's what you can do. Uh, If you go to CFC and you receive emails from us, you're going to get a a blast email that says, hey, the recording's ready and you can watch online. If you don't get emails from us, then here's what's going to happen. It'll be on our homepage. I think we can safely say by this evening, if you go back to our homepage, cfcjacks.com, you can click there and you'll be able to find a 
un that recording of this morning where my lips will match my words mostly but sometimes you just can't help that so that's what's going to happen for tonight and if it would serve you I hope that you'll watch or how about this maybe you'll say I've had conversations about the resurrection with folks who have had lots of questions and I'm not sure they watched. You just forward them the link and say, hey, here's something as you wrestle with the validity of Christianity. Here's something that you might want to watch that we could talk about. That would be a great thing that you could share. God bless. Thanks for sharing Resurrection Sunday with us. Come back 60 seconds and we'll talk.